I'm Jane Greenfield, former president of Vanguard Charitable and your host for today's episode of Vanguard Charitable's podcast, The Value in Giving. Today, we're excited to kick off season two of our podcast. Our first season in 2020 went deep on COVID-19. We looked at the greatest areas of community need, how nonprofits were affected, and how donors could help. Now, coming up on two years of the pandemic and fighting new COVID variants, we recognize COVID isn't the only disaster that requires our support. In today's first episode of season two, we're focusing on what's next in disaster relief, and more specifically, how donors can continue to make an impact. Joining me for this discussion is Patty McElreevy from the Center for Disaster Philanthropy, or CDP as we call it and Yanti Sarepto from Save the Children. Yanti Sarepto has served as president and CEO of Save the Children since January 1st, 2020, having previously served as president and COO of Save the Children US and prior as deputy CEO of Save the Children International. Save the Children is an organization that gives more than 134 million children across 120 countries, including the US, a healthy start the opportunity to learn, and protection from harm. Patty McElreevy is president and CEO of CDP. She has over 25 years of experience in humanitarian relief and post-conflict development, 17 of which were spent overseas, primarily in Africa and in the Middle East. The CDP works with funders, NGOs, and other partners to mobilize a full range of resources that strengthen the ability of communities to withstand disasters and recover equitably when they occur. Welcome, Patty and Yanti. So glad to have you here today. Thank you for having us. So glad to have you. It's great. We have a fair amount to discuss. I actually really only have a few questions for you. I will admit in advance they're kind of big, open-ended questions, so bear with me. Um, But I'd actually love if both of you would answer each question because I think you bring different perspectives to the table. Patty, you look at disasters from a grantor's perspective. And Yanti, you live with communities on the ground as you respond to disasters with a specific focus on children. So um, if you can both weigh in, I'll I'll ask my very large questions, and then I'm just hoping it's a dialogue from there. Sound okay? Sounds good. All right, all right. So my first question is, what has been the biggest impact of the pandemic and perhaps the biggest learnings from the pandemic? Patty, why don't we start with you? Thanks for having me here. The biggest learning from the pandemic, you know, from, from CDP's perspective is that everyone's been impacted. In, in the past, we've always talked about the fact that everyone is a disaster philanthropist, and it's really been more a kind of catchphrase that we've used to try to encourage people to recognize that disasters are an Achilles heel to the programming they may have, that it, it, it so creates so many vulnerabilities for populations. But the pandemic has demonstrated for everyone, you know, what it means to actually be affected by a disaster that you have no control over. And, you know, I mean, you could call it an experiential equalizer, though, of course, everyone's experience is very different of how this disaster has um, touched their lives, their families, their communities, their countries. And and for us, for at CDP, we, we try and use that to kind of remind people that no matter what your programs are, no matter where your goals are in terms of helping, there's 
something that can come almost out of nowhere and change your entire life. And it and the solution is not one thing. It's not, oh, I need I need a mask or I need PPE or or I need vaccines because everyone's impacted so differently. Some people, you know, they just they're struggling with the education aspects for their children and other people it's childcare and beyond that it's 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 economics or or rent or there's so many ways this has rolled out and our hope is that once this pandemic is passed that everyone will remember that and bring that into their empathy in the future for how to help and and how to be considerate and thinking of others who will be continued to be who will continue to be impacted by disasters because unfortunately disasters don't go anywhere they do come but if you're lucky you're not one of the people who is in the path of a disaster when it arrives so patty that's interesting you're saying you know for the first time we've all been impacted mm -hmm. so i know when i've given for disaster relief in the past i try to put myself in the shoes of the people who have been impacted and it's very hard to do that and it's particularly hard to to really understand that important message of the solution is more than just one thing. So I, I agree. I think that's an important thing to bring forward. Yanti, what's your perspective on this question of what the biggest impact and perhaps biggest learnings have been from the pandemic? Just to build on what Patty already said, right? I think increased empathy, and we've seen that also in our own supporter base, there is a sense of you know, it's hitting all of us. It's also the children in, in my own immediate community who are struggling with, you know, online classrooms or or, or even, you know, poor connectivity and, and teachers uh, struggling to understand in our, in our own schools to understand how, how to make sure they continue to support their 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 uh, learners. I think uh, so. That's a good thing, and I do hope. That, that remains or that lingering memory of that impact remains with uh, with, with, with our supporters and, and, and everybody else. I do think it's also given much more visibility about existing inequalities that were there and made also made it so that people who already had these inequalities, you know, who were already subject to some of these inequalities were actually hit harder. So if you live in a poor community with already poor connectivity, it's even harder to maintain any semblance of learning for your children, right? It's not that you can roll out your, your iPad and your Zoom and, and your Google Classrooms and, and off you go. Even that in and of itself is also hard. So I think the fact that 30 million people were already food insecure in the United States before the pandemic and the fact that when schools closed, children all of a sudden lost their one nutritious meal a day, all of a sudden made people sit up and take notice of that fact. So I think that, that those existing uh, inequalities exist, you know, they are there and that they were made more visible for people is also something that we hope will remain and will make people think, hmm, that wasn't a great situation to be in. So this building back should actually be building forward, right, as we now say, because what we had wasn't necessarily what, what we want to have back anyway. So that, I think for us as a humanitarian organization on the ground, responding to immediate needs as well as to longer term, on, on long term development issues, we're training for this as humanitarians, right? You always have to be adept. The disaster can come from any corner at any moment, as Patty says, uh, but to do it globally all at the same time, not just the remote working, that was a relatively easy thing to do, but also to figure out, okay, we cannot run a classroom, we cannot train community healthcare workers face-to-face, -face, how are we going to do it? Often in a context where there's low resource, where there is you know, low connectivity, et cetera. How do we adapt 
our programs. So that having to turn on a dime, literally, in a lot of these countries has really forced us to be, you know, ever more innovative and creative to say, what can we still do with fidelity and with quality? And what other things can we come up with, right? So in the end, if you then switch to training your community healthcare workers via mobile means, all of a sudden you find that you are able to reach many more than you originally had planned for to do in person. So that's a benefit. Of course, the downside is, can we be as in-depth as we'd like to be? We'd like to support it also with some in-person training over time. But I think there were real sort of pros and cons to having to adapt our programs. Yeah, Yanti, you said a few things in there that I want to underline. Very, very insightful. First, the fact that this brought visibility into existing inequalities. And yes, we all know that the world is not equal, but I think it exacerbated that inequality that we know existed. And I know a lot of our donors really had a tremendous amount, not only of empathy, but of a a need to take action to help those at most risk. The other thing that's really interesting is this concept of the need to build forward. I think, you know, often the headlines can drive some of our empathy. They can drive our interest in giving in the moment for sure. And that's very positive. But in the aftermath of disasters, there's such a need to learn from them and build forward so that we're not as vulnerable in the future. And, you know, the fact that we've had multiple disasters, I mean, COVID was big. COVID is big. It remains big. But during all this time in 2020 and 2021, if I listed all the disasters, I think I would take up the entire podcast. It's been incredible. So, you know, this need to deal with the disasters in the moment, build forward. And to your point, build, you know, turn on a dime. Things are changing every day. It's just a lot for people who want to make a difference to think about, right? So all this is going on. We work with donors who desperately want to make an impact. They really, they want to do something good in the world, but there's so much to focus on. There's so much to think about. So that's going to lead me into my second question, second big question, (laughs) which is based on all of this, what's your advice for philanthropists who want to maximize their impact as they give? Patty, do you want to start us off again? That's such a great question. And it, it actually comes up all the time in our in our conversations at CDP with philanthropists because they it is difficult. And I would say, as with the, within the disaster industry, it plan for the future. You know, be strategic. If if you're reactive, you're likely to not have the response you want. You're likely not to look at a longer vision for recovery. So you you really have to think ahead. Find where is that interconnectivity in your strategy for what what types of disasters, what geographical areas, what type of programming. And if you plan that in advance, you can explain both to yourself, to your board, to your stakeholders, to your employees, whoever it may be, why we're helping here versus there, or why we're helping more here versus there. There is unlikely to ever be enough to help everywhere as much as we'd all like it to (laughs) be there. So that strategy, that long view will really help set the stage for helping you make those hard decisions as time goes on. And and, and there's resources out there such as our Disaster Philanthropy Playbook, which can kind of help you think through what are the components of a disaster from a philanthropic lens and how might that connect with, with my own work, with my areas. The other thing, of course, because you know you can't do everything, collaborate identify who those partners will be, either in philanthropy, 
or in philanthropy serving organizations, but also with organizations such as Yanti's. You know, what what are those pre-existing relationships you can have? So right out of the gate, you know, as soon as you hear it on the news that something has happened, you know exactly who to call. You're already talking to those collaborators. You're already finding, is this a place we should be? We've had this strategy, we've made these decisions, these are our determinants. Are we are we go or not? Right. And that and and what does that go look like? And those are really, really important things to to examine because that clarity is so important. I think the third thing I would say, um, and it really touches on Yanti's points before, is recognize that addressing root causes and the other programs you do, addressing those structural inequities and inequalities that exist, they can go a long way towards mitigating disaster and helping communities be more prepared. And so don't only be reactive or you know, proactive about what you may do when a disaster strikes, be proactive about what you could do to help communities not have that disaster impact them as greatly as it could. And, and there's a lot that you can do within there. It may already be that you're doing it. You just don't necessarily recognize it. And if you can bring it out and amplify it and possibly invest in it further, it'll be that much more valuable if, if a disaster does come that you know to connect those pieces. So that that's just, you know, those are three things I, I would really say is, you know, recognize, take that long view in the interconnectivity, be proactive in your strategy, look at collaborators and identify them and, and, and you know, work with them in advance. And three, you know, look at what you're doing already to help with what systems are that, you know, address the root causes of vulnerabilities and what you can do proactively to help communities from actually being impacted at all from a disaster that may be coming. That's great, Patty, and very actionable. Thank you for that. Yanti, your thoughts on this? Yeah, it might be a, a little boring because I think I'm going to sort of almost copy all of Patty's points there. I <laughs> I think because I you know because they're really great points and I agree, right? I think for everybody, of course, funders, philanthropists, they find the the area that you feel certainly passionate, uh, committed to, uh, feel that you have value add, uh, you know, alongside your dollars. Think about what other things do I have in my asset base, and that's the, in the broadest possible sense, right? partners, collaborators, the skill sets, uh, capabilities in my organization, company, whatever, and then commit to an area. Try to hone in on a couple of things where you want to shift the needle and then commit multi-year. Change does not happen overnight. I know it's incredibly tempting to say, I want to have this school built so that girls can stay in school. But if you do not work uh, with organizations who then agree that the government will pay teacher salaries over the coming years, it's going to be a pretty empty, useless school, right? And getting governments to fund and budget, to work with the Ministry of Finance to budget the teacher salaries in, not very sexy, not very media photogenic, but super important and critical to really get systemic and sustainable change going, right? And the two have to work hand in hand. So multi-year commitment to a topic uh, of, of your interest and, and passion and choice, that'd be great. Drive for transparency and accountability. And I say, you know, for organizations like ours and for organizations like Patty's as well, right? If we say what we promise, make sure that we are reporting on it and that we're also transparent about our failures, right? Sometimes applaud those failures. There's so much in the sector that is very sometimes wary of saying, oh, we said we would do this. It didn't quite pan out that way because sometimes, and we know in business, this is quite normal. All of the products that get launched every day, we know that Tons of those don't succeed. Tons of acquisitions and mergers do not succeed. And that's well accepted. 
sometimes you also have to experiment in our settings because we sometimes we don't know exactly what's going to stop early child marriage. We have a good inkling, so we can try a couple of things, but then we also have to be honest and say, well, that didn't work, so we're not going to do that. And this one did, and now we need to scale that up. So some of those business practices also apply to the sector. So I would encourage particular philanthropists from the corporate sector to not think that they have to leave all that good practice behind when they become a philanthropist in, in, in this sector. Um, and ask us for evidence, but also be open to funding research and evidence in the areas that you are that you've you've picked because sometimes it's there and there's some great evidence that we have from some of our interventions um, but sometimes funders they want to build the school but they don't always want to build the the evidence and learning for the couple of years after that to understand what was exactly working and and why and what wasn't and, and why not right and then last point to patty's point about collaboration really seek out advice don't assume that you on your own can create all this impact. I mean, you know, many, many organizations and tons of people have worked for centuries, I would say, to solve some of these issues. And, uh, you know, there's a ton of good resources out there, organizations like Paddy's, you know, other NGOs and, and partnerships, public-private partnerships that do have a ton of knowledge. So see where you, where your specific capabilities add value rather than either duplicating something or doing something in an insular manner that doesn't then help the global pool of knowledge or, or support. Well, that's great, Yanti. I, I feel like we should just um, create a little booklet out of this. I've just, uh, I've just taken <laughs> notes and these are, these are great pieces of yes, advice. Yeah, I'm sure we could do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm going to add one just based on the conversation that the three of us have had before. And that is once you figure out your passion, where you want to give, how you want to support multi-year, give unrestricted. Mm -hmm. Let the organization that you've decided that you trust That's right. do yeah. what they need to do. Because, Yanti, you mentioned the fact that, you know, we have pretty good ideas, pretty educated ideas as to what might work, but sometimes things work, sometimes they don't. We need you to have the flexibility to figure that out, learn from it and really put the resources where they're most needed. So I'll add that little plug for unrestricted giving. Very um, good. I, well, I know I talk to nonprofits all the time and man, that is that is a theme, that is a theme. So um, so this is, this is really, and, really- And cool. I would say one of the good things that we certainly saw with our supporters and funders uh, out, of, out of the pandemic was that there is all of a sudden more appreciation for that need for flexibility. Because all of a sudden all these plans of course were appended and people went like oh yeah no 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 be flexible be flexible and figure out what works right so all of a sudden it could be done well you know that's the other i guess silver lining from a pandemic that we all experience is we saw that in our own lives like the mm -hmm. need to be flexible right. and adapt things yeah. changed kind of weekly at times so um so yeah that's that's very helpful so great. So you've given some insight into the impact of the pandemic and the biggest learnings. Um, you've given advice for philanthropists, which I would say really applies to all giving and particularly giving for disasters. So here's my final big question. And that is in 2020 and 2021, we've had so many disasters and challenges. But now we're recording this podcast in August 2021. Looking forward, what keeps you up at night? Don't you hate those big questions? 
<laughs> no, they're very good questions. Very good questions. <laughs> if, if I yeah, may I just add something on the trust that Yanti had brought up in the last question, and I, I just feel it's it's really critical to highlight, um, if I may, before we get into the that bigger question. Sure. When we talk about trusting organizations and identifying them, it, it's also a respect, um, you know, respecting the professionalization that has happened in the sector over the past few decades. And even though there's a rise of a lot of, of new organizations and there always will be that, the challenge of, of the new and, and, and looking for, for new ways to help, identify those who have a long history and, and trust them, as you said, with the unrestricted dollars to do the work well. I mean, in the same way that if you had your house on fire, as much as you'd love for your neighbors to show up with buckets, you really want the fire department to arrive. <laughs> and so in this, it's the same in a disaster, unfortunately. We, we love the empathy, we love the help, we want everybody to be involved, but we have to recognize that there is a professional core and, and, and we should you know, give them our respect that they, they do know how to make the right decisions. If you've identified the right organization that aligns with your values, that aligns with your mission, trust them to know what to do to help in, in, the, in the best way possible for those communities by listening to those communities and working with those communities. So I just wanna highlight that. I, I feel it's really clear, uh, really something that we overlook too often is, is that level of trust and recognition of the professionalization that has happened and that exists within a lot of organizations such as Yanti's. That's a, that's a great point, Patty. And we, we are lucky to have experienced people who rush in to a variety of different disasters and really know what they're doing. So thank you for that. What keeps me up at night? Well, as a, as a humanitarian organization, you have uh, always a long list to, to choose from when, when asked that question, as you can imagine. And I generally, generally really try to make sure I sleep well at night because that sort of is good for the quality of our decision making, I think. But there are certain crises, you know, as we sit here today, August 2021, we've just witnessed the fall of Kabul. I mean, clearly the safety and security of all of our humanitarian colleagues, and I don't just mean the people who work for Save the Children, but the many, you know, colleagues across the sector who, have, who are putting their lives on the line every day, the, the community volunteers and activists, um, you know, particularly on women's and girls' rights, you know, those, those lives are at risk every day and never more so than today in, in Afghanistan, I would say. So those, you know, it, though by and this is an exceptional circumstance, I realize, but those are the things that actually do cause me sleepless nights to some extent, right? And they have over the past couple of weeks. I think going forward, I think if you, if you think about this whole balance between, you know, systemic change or immediate, uh, the, the fire department uh, analogy, I think it it does. There's still a huge, um, you know. You, you said it, Jane. You know, there's so many crises this year. You know, almost hard to know how, you know, which ones to pick. And it, to some extent, it also dulls the, uh, the the census a bit, right? Because everybody gets sensitized to it. And we're like, oh, okay, an earthquake in Haiti. Well, we, you know, it's not that people really struck their shop, but it's, it's sort of in the news for two days and then it's gone, right? There is a looming hunger and famine crisis now in 20 countries, even. Mm -hmm. Even a famine crisis in one country alone in in 1984 was in you know was the big story um, and 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 attention and it actually led to a quite you know significant change in action uh, at the time and at the moment that that isn't even in the news um, you know whereas over 40 million people are at risk now of starvation in in a world that has plenty to feed mm -hmm. every woman girl and child so 
you know, that that is worrisome. And I think in a world that's wealthier every year, I know economic impact of COVID, et cetera, but by and large underlying trend, there is more wealth, more capability, more resource in this world every year. Um, and yet we see the funding for humanitarian need as a percentage of what is required versus what is actually given go down. And that is a real, real concern. And that didn't just happen. I mean, that's certainly the case for 2021. If we look at, you know, formal OCHA figures, I think it's a, Patty might know this better, at 33% uh, for the global humanitarian ask. Um, so 30, a third of what is asked for globally for all crises has been funded. That means two thirds is currently non un, unfunded. So, so that is a concern in a world of plenty. I think that's fair. Boy, um, I think I'm not going to be sleeping as well tonight after that, Yanti. But it's very well said. Um, really, you know, the the current very present worry that we've seen from what's going on in Afghanistan, and then the ongoing worry about the need for greater systemic change and. You know the fact that there's so many so many crises that gosh you can't you can't keep a headline for too long you can't keep it on everybody's radar screen for too long it's yeah it's very yeah. fair patty i'm going to turn to you yeah so i think for me uh i obviously agree with everything yanti has said ser serious concerns on the you know pace of disasters we're having at the moment and the scale of them is a, a serious concern i also think you know climate change and the disasters that are coming uh, you know, faster and more furiously and, and more severely. I mean, I, we, we just had Hurricane Ida, right? So, you know, that is a major concern. We're going to have worst, worst disasters. And those who are already vulnerable, it's going to exacerbate those inequities unless we really are looking at, you know, programming that goes beyond the disaster, goes beyond the humanitarian and really looks at those, you know, social justice issues, looks at, 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 at development, looks at sustainable development goals, et cetera. I mean, what are we doing to, you know, rectify and, and mitigate the impact that climate change is going to have in addition to stopping climate change, right? We we know that there's already some of it's left the station. So we have to also address, you know, both at the same time. This isn't merely about climate promises. This is also about what are we going to do with what's already out here and we know is coming. Um, and and there's a, there's so much evidence now. I mean, the pandemic, as Yanti has said, has, has really put a, a spotlight on the evidence of inequities that exist. Uh, the disaster, you know, individual people who work in disasters, we already knew about this. It was already something like CDP highlighted. It, it's something I'm sure Save the Children is already highlighting regularly in, in the work on children. It's, it's we know that disasters exacerbate these inequities that are baked into the system. They are not created by the disaster. They are highlight it. And so that keeps me up is is that that double that double barrel that's coming towards us, which is is the you know bigger disasters, but also more harmful to those who already have so much um, to lose. And and the, the other thing that keeps me me, me awake is, is less to do with you know, the disasters and then what's coming and more to do with the philanthropic community. And that's are they going to keep practicing what they learned in 2020 and 2021? Are we going to stay you know, nimble? Are we going to support innovation? Are we going to explore how, you know, in the past we would say we can't have remote this or we can't do remote that. It's too complicated to look at new part, new ways to, you know, educate children. It's too complicated to figure out how to accommodate, um, you know, people from all over the world to participate in this session. Well, actually, the pandemic has said, yes, you can. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. Yeah, right. And are we going to 
say in our desperation to go back to this version of normality that we abandon all of that or are we going to as Yanti said go forward and create a new normal create a new reality that brings forward the best of what happened in our changes and how we looked at things during the pandemic and takes them into the future and says we actually will do better we will be better about addressing vulnerability in our programming we will be better about you know multi-year general operating dollars. We will be better about supporting nimble innovation, about trusting. That That's for me, that kind of keeps me up at night because I fear that inertia is a powerful force. And there's such a desire to go back to what feels comfortable and right that we may, you know, if we don't really focus on those silver linings, as you said, Jane, with from the pandemic, we may we may slide back to where we were. And that'll be even more disappointing for those who saw that it was possible and then see that we abandon it. And, and that's, I think, something really a challenge to, to philanthropy and to all of us working in this, in, in this field. Like, what are we going to take forward and how are we going to adapt and be different, better? Well, those are fair worries. I will say um, having the privilege of talking to so many donors who work with Vanguard Charitable, they are long-term in their philanthropy. They are passionate about making a change um, and we will uh, we will do what we can to help them make that longer-term commitment um, to really leveraging the silver linings, leveraging our learnings and pushing it forward. Um, I'll tell you, we could we could talk, I could talk to you both for so long about this, but I know we need to wrap up. I think your advice to the philanthropists uh, listening is just so spot on. So I'll just close by thanking you and also by just reiterating a couple of points that you made. One is, you know, you both talked about having a long-term focus in giving. Donor advised fund donors tend to have that, which is great. Um, and so, you know, I will underline that for all our listeners that, you know, not only being long term in your focus, but maybe doing some of the non sexy stuff to your point, Yanti, uh, the research, you know, the, the um, kind of not just doing something in the moment, but making sure following through with that donation to ensure that the program continues to be successful over time. Second is, you know, figure out your passion and collaborate with others to be educated on it so you can make a great difference. Um, and, you know, three, ensure that um, that you ask those that you give to to be as transparent as possible. I know it's really hard to run a nonprofit and at the same time do all that donors would want you to do in terms of information and transparency, but we do appreciate those nonprofits who do that. And then fourth is, you know, once you find the organization that is pursuing your goals, you know, what you think is really important to pursue in the world, they're doing it with um, the kind of transparency that is important to you and the leaders know what they are. They are the firemen, not the neighbors with buckets. Trust them, respect them and let them do their work. Give so that in a way that makes them um, flexible and adaptable as they do the work. Thank you both for your insight and for joining this podcast. If you'd like to reach out and learn more about these wonderful organizations, visit savethechildren.org and disasterphilanthropy.org. We've also listed this information in our podcast notes, as well as our website, vanguardcharitable.org. 
We hope you join us for our next episode, where we'll continue our conversation about what's next in the pandemic and philanthropy with Hannah Kemp, Vice President for Impact and Growth at Sergo Ventures, a nonprofit focused on solving health and social problems with precision. She'll be sharing information on how to strengthen communities and giving with the help of data. For now, I'm Jane Greenfield. Thanks for listening.